fighting boys, and we all wore corduroys. I was the roughest of the gang, cause my braces used to hang. Dangling all around my feet, my mouth I used to fall. Pointing to a text only she'd hung up on the wall. Never let your braces dangle, dingle, dingle, dangle. Never thief, don't deceive, never row or wrangle. Stick to the right, keep away from the bed. Don't get tight like a poor old dead, but the greatest motto was a lot my lead. Never let your braces Good evening. Welcome once again to the Evening Tickler on this suspicious Sunday evening. Uh, you can feel uh, the after effects of uh, Hurricane Irma and earthquakes that were down south. Um, I do believe that there there is this sort of repercussion that just rolls on after the epicenter. Is that what it is? That's what it was? I, I, th- I think that what happened, and I don't know what, we're, we're waiting for our guests. We're, it's just Julian and Steve. This is going to be very lame I promise you, if you have something better to do, <laughs> go to it. Because, uh, because right now, all you're going to hear about oh, is man. bizarre, weird nastiness. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, let me tell you where it is. It's in the back of my neck. Because, <laughs> Julian, explain yourself. Well there, well, there I was. There I was. You know, it's hard to explain, really. Okay, so I'm coming through. So here we are. We're coming in. I'm in a, I'm in a hurry, but I wasn't in a hurry at the point that we're talking about. No, he uh, was not in a hurry. No, I, I wasn't he was even very uh, slow. Very calm. In fact, in fact in I was car. early. But I, uh, but I had become aware, because of a text that we received, that our uh, guest tonight um, was running a little bit late. So, uh, um, so anyway, I'm arriving a little bit early so we can make a plan, um, and we are still waiting for them to come. Uh, but anyway, so then I come into Roxbury, outside the radio station, and Steve's parked on the opposite side of the uh, road, as he's supposed to be, facing in the right direction. So I'm, I, uh, so I'm like, oh, I'll swing around and park behind him. So uh, I do a U-turn in the middle of the street, and then <laughs> nice and slowly, and then I go for the brake, but instead, but somehow something goes on with my foot between the brake and the accelerator, whereby um, I'm pushing the accelerator down. And so he sees me slowly crawling up bes- behind him and presumably stops looking in his mirror at that point. And then the next thing he knows, I've accelerated up to <laughs> like 40 miles an hour he's, in the space he's of in a, a second. He's in a Subaru, which isn't a big car, but he hit me so hard <laughs> that he moved my truck. And it's, it's a three-quarter ton truck, two feet off of, uh, you know, and, um, and I've got to thank goodness, a big hitch on the back. Which speared him. It was like a javelin thrust, <laughs> like right, a right into harpoon, his engine. Harpoon yeah. into the engine. And, but like, my reaction was, was not like kind. Ahab. Of, I, I saw Julian approaching, and I thought, well, he's you know going to do the park right behind me, uh, and he hits me so hard, <laughs> I, my my neck flies into the back seat, and <laughs> my farmer reaction is. <laughs> I can't say the words I said, but it was essentially. No, you were why fairly, did you? Why did you do that? You did. You said, no, you didn't even curse. Oh, I did. You just got oh, no. You may have cursed inside the cab, but oh. you got outside and looked at me and said, "Why did you do that?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I did. I thought I just wanted to surprise you a little bit." No, that's a Julian thing. You, oh, you, you, ha- you, and your automotive skills. This is right in line. I've never had an accident. You took my mailbox. I took your out. mailbox out, but that was due to butterfly. That was due to my. Uh, that, was, that was a completely different reason. And you and you take, um, you take Bramley Mountain by storm. turns on the wrong side of the street. Wow! And you're just uh, lucky, and you and you stop being not lucky. today. But your foot got stuck, and you accelerated. Yeah. 
and so, tried, unwedged it. We're waiting for our guest, and it's going to be one of those nights of, you know, I don't know if any of you out there have explored in your life the concept of the random laws of perversity, where just things happen, where you're on the path and things are going along and, you know, to expectation, and then they're not. And yeah. I mean, you really, your life changes. <coughs> and and yeah. sometimes, um, you well, know, it can be... a. a it changes. Has your life, maybe your life has no, changed. No, I guess these are the... Wait till my lawyers <clears throat> get on you. Well, I guess, <laughs> I guess these are the little... Um, these are my li- neck really hurts. These are the little nudges. These are the little nudges that, um, you know, because, hey, consequential right now because you've got a mess to deal with tomorrow and well, I have a mess to deal with tomorrow or whatever and all that. But I guess these are the little nudges that the fates or the gods give you to say that one day... You're going to get pieces of information that really screw up your day. Don't just screw up your day, but like screw up like the rest of the Well, that's a very positive way to look at it, Julian, that well, this is just a nice soft prep for the big bad no-no or, coming up. Or just some kind of sense. Well, no, not that there is a big bad no-no coming up, but it's like the little hint of like where you're like, oh, no, and you can't quite see beyond the next three days and oh, thinking man. like that screws that up, that screws that up. But I guess it is like a little yeah. breather of like when you get that piece of information that says, oh, well, that kind of just screws everything up. Yeah. And I wonder about that. It's a butterfly effect, except this was a little bit more than a butterfly. Well, I wonder about that because I wonder because the thing about these kind of things, these little things that happen or whatever. It's the beginning of your life unraveling. <laughs> well, no, no, because you, you know. Well, wait three days from No, now. but you know when you get these kind of, because uh, you had that, uh, uh, you had an accident with like a, a motorbike person. Correct. And you were kind of nervous for a few days after that yeah. and playing like, ah, it's no big deal, but it's kind of on your mind. Oh, it's awful. Right, 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 right. Um, so, have you ever put on a hair shirt before? It's that concept it's where that feeling, yeah. it, 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 it served the purpose of the function of a of a shirt, but it irritates yeah. you constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had that. Oh. I, I was once uh, I was once sued by somebody for you know a, a, one of those absurd things where you're sued for like ten million dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you know it's fallacious and crazy or whatever. But there's some other. But you keep having to go and do depositions, and you yeah. keep you know yeah. you, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But then it doesn't appear to be ridiculous because you get a date in two months' time yeah. saying, please come to this weird building somewhere yeah, yeah. that you've never been to before and meet with some right. like weird, sweaty lawyers yeah. and tell your story. Yeah. And you're like, wait. Is you this- get, you, once you become, once you do something that allows the man to get a hold of you it, and you get into the system in. and your time is then measured and monitored and people are making money off of yeah. you, you are no longer oh, in meat. control. You're just meat. Um, yeah. Which is the worst fear to do something really criminal and get into that system? Well, that's the <laughs> well, that's the crime and punishment thing, isn't it? I mean, isn't that why Raskolnikov, in the end, uh, leads his uh, leads leads the detective to himself or whatever? Because he actually can't live in the in that in that system. It has to be over, even if that means being. Uh, found guilty. So do you? Th- yeah, and and of course he spent his time, did his time, and came out a better man. I wonder if after this is all done and they're done with you on this accident thing, <laughs> if you're going to be <laughs> changed better. If prison time will serve you. No, but well. I wonder. Uh, without you look good in stripes. No, but without going too dark on this, I wonder whether you know because <clears throat> what inevitably happens with any of these things when they kind of go down is you get those two or three days afterwards where you wake up in the morning and you, for a moment you're right, and then you're like, oh, shit, oh, that annoying thing that I've got to deal with. Or, you know, it just kind of, it kind of scratches underneath your existential calm or whatever. 
So what happens when people find out something really big, like a real problem? Well, this is what happens. Like they're going to die. Yeah. And they don't, and when they wake up and think maybe it's gone away, it just hasn't. It's, that's a very common story. But um, what, what is the next step is that after you understand that there's a process that you are going to have to go through, insurance and, and notification and all sorts of communications, then you start with this. And this is, the, this is what starts to unravel you. Why did I do that? I mean, I've never done that before. Mm. Why did my foot slip? No. It, was there anything conscious no, about it? No, that's not going to happen to me. It could. You no. don't know. <clears throat> not in this particular instance because, I, um, because you, I'm not reflective, because I, am, um, because I want the, I want the, the surface to, to just go back to the surface it was before as quickly as possible. So I don't ask this kind of question. But, Julian, it happened because you weren't paying attention. You were not mindful. Yeah. And so you're going to start to think, where was my mind? Well, I know. And then you're going to think about everything going on in your life right now, and you've got a lot going on in your but life But don't right you now. think that, that, I mean, you're never mindful, are you? I mean, we're always preoccupied with... Mindfulness is a reflective quality more than the Buddhist concept of being in the moment from a Western point of view. And what's going to happen is you're going to start to think about why did, for the first time in my life, my foot slip and this accident happen, happen at this point in my life... <laughs> that's stopped me from a meeting that's critical mm. that is going to you know interrupt in a soft way the things that are going forward is this a message that i was trying to tell myself yeah, through but, my foot yeah but I'll, you're gonna because you you think that way yeah but i'm gonna piece i'll piece back together a storyline whereby you're like hey, you know what like bad bad stuff momentarily happens like somebody jumps out whatever all kinds of stuff goes on but 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 my my bigger point here like i say without going too dark is i can do that because the extent of what i'm looking at is like a, a broken radiator and some mess or whatever and so yeah a little bit of money and some insurance and all that kind of stuff can deal with it but what about you know because lightning strikes and that's a little way that lightning strikes but what about when lightning strikes hard and and you're dead well, no, and you wake up the next day. Like a really simple, a really simple situation would be um, like a really bad diagnosis where, uh, where, you know, a car, you're like, that's a bummer or whatever, but obviously within a couple of days you're going to work out a way to, like, make, make the storyline. I presume that what happens after a really bad diagnosis is you wake up and still think, oh, there's a way to fix this. And then you're re-struck by the thing that there isn't. You know what I mean? Everybody deals with those uh, diagnoses differently, but there. Is, I, I suppose you're right. Do, you, um, do, you when, try, do people try to fix it? Is that their immediate response the next day? Is to be like, no, 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 I can fix this. Like if, you can a car. You know, if if they're optimistic and and they are self empowered, I suppose they do think I can fix it because there's hope. And, you know, there are a lot of people, too, in, in diagnoses that are going to be empathetic and say, of course, there are, you know, look at the statistics, you're going to be a survivor. But there's that other point um, when you get that. I mean, when the lightning strikes hard, mm -hmm. when all you can do is take a step forward and not think, you know, you'd be, you know a lot of times really? you just you have could... to put yourself into the fates. You and cannot think? That's a very safe place to be. No, but I'm talking about whether it's it'd be a safe place to be. I'm talking about whether it's um, achievable. You know, there's nothing worse than if you, the lightning does strike hard, 
to really embrace that because it, it affects the way you smell, the way you react to people. Polexed, yeah. And, yeah, and so the best thing to do is to just go into denial. Yeah, but I'm talking about but, but uh, that, that's one thing to say that. It's another thing to be capable. You know, because in, in my mind, you know, with a friend of mine who died young, who I kind of watched, he appeared to me to be re-horrified by the veracity of his situation on almost a daily basis. I mean, that, that was what was so incredibly shocking to watch. Was, well, was, was he basic, in a lot of pain? Well, you know, that came, but no. But in the early f- stages, it was just like, what? what? Like, you know, or like going for a swim or whatever, then coming out and him just being like, but, you know, just re- the information reasserting itself, like time after time, him going very, very quiet and then coming back for a little bit and then going very, very away, just like, man, this is just like the hammer didn't hit once. This is like watching someone who's like a nail with a hammer just hitting rhythmically like day and night. And, and it, but didn't he go into that why me? I, he went through he went through all of that and then also tried to be um, grown up about it and say like oh I've led a good life so far and you know these things are tried all the kind of ways but every single one just felt to me I mean it makes me feel uh, it makes gives me mild nausea to even talk about it because it was so un it was so without a redemptive quality that those of us who are left standing watching Philip Larkin said something like. Uh, uh, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten exactly what he said in his poem, but he basically said um, <clears throat> uh, being, um, being brave about it is just not frightening other people. That, you know, when someone's in that state... Yeah, well, I'm getting slightly nauseous just thinking about listening to you right now because it's, it is terrifying and it's something we wouldn't want, wish on anybody. And yet it's something... And <clears throat> in this world we live in, so many people are thinking, um, even if they're not going through it, these these horrible states of the world, these apocalyptic, it's, sure. it's the end. I don't know why so many people are thinking about it. I don't know why popular culture has so embraced it. Because when I listen to you, Julian, talk about the, the true horror of that, like why, why would you even be fascinated with it? If it happens, so you deal with it. But why do you want to anticipate it through thinking about it so much? I people want think <clears> about <throat> it. I wouldn't want to. I and would. we're doing it right now. We're, we are th- we're thinking about it. And we're, we're rolling it through our hands like a piece of dough, feeling it and shaping it. And, you know, what, I, and there's some, is there something satisfying about no, it? No, absolutely. Is there something controlling that no. we have in the uncontrollable no. by no, talking no, no, no. this way? No, I mean, I think it's understandable that one would because you are... Um, because because it, because it's a huge experience and what and it is potentially available, likely available to like all of us. So the curiosity of, about what happens when you walk through that gate uh, is a um, is is a natural curiosity, even though it's horror. You know, there's something about about the arc of decency, in general, that I think uh, we trust in, where we think that um, that whatever goes down, the the fates or the human form or the, even the human body will protect us against the worst. It, we, you know, it will... Um, you, know what, you know what I'm trying to say? Of course. Right. That it won't be as gothic as you think it would be because, I don't know, something sets in. Like, people say they don't remember 
this horrific thing that happened to them because shock set, sets in or whatever. So they're like, I don't know. I was just driving along the road. And you're like, you know, everything that happened to you after that, you went to a coma and what? They're like, I don't know any of it because the human body in general shuts that system down. What I was saying about this particular instance is uh, it was a little shocking to see to see someone in, in the light of all of that throat. Like, you're like, where's the peace in this? Where, who, isn't there a, like, God, or isn't there a human body, or isn't there... What something? kind of advice did you give your friend? What kind of uh, well, advice you, and consolence? Well, what did you do to you comfort him? I mean, and I don't want to go too far with this, because we really will, it will end up, like, thrown up online. Um, yeah. Um, but it was, um, you know, in sitting and talking, everybody was trying to be pragmatic. We're all in our 30s, you know? So we're all trying to be pragmatic and be like, well, let's talk about your photography and what would happen after the fact or, you know, because the, the, because the diagnosis was, you know, everybody accepted where it was going to go. Um, and he would say in the middle of it, which was simultaneously, um, uh, which was simultaneously, he would be honest. He'd be sitting talking and we'd talk about all these kind of things and he'd go quiet and he'd be like, but there's something different that's going on in this room. Everything you're talking about, you're going to see, and I'm not. And then everybody's like, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's, and like, he, was, yeah. he wasn't even able to keep that's up. With because we're all being like, well. But he's like, this is apples and oranges. or This is, this is dead man walking. This is dead man walking. Anymore when I'm in a situation and somebody seems to be up against the wall of their mortality. Um, because I have been, I've, I've yeah. gone through that. Yeah. And, and I tell them, and, and I think it's the best thing I can do. I tell them that they're going to be okay. And, and there's something about a switch in us that, yeah. that um, in spite of all evidence to the contrary, can believe that it will. And, and there's something about the human body, and maybe it's a spiritual thing, that will drug them out. And, and maybe it will help them get to a point where they can be cured or it will at least give them pause um, and and comfort on their path towards the edge but i do that and i'm i'm insistent and i use myself as an example and and well, sometimes think, <laughs> bearing witness is what you do to help somebody in that to get through it yeah no i think that's a good thing i mean uh, the truth is we all use people like you even if we haven't talked to you about the subject well yeah because i'm a i'm a witness to beating the odds you're waving the beating. flag yeah as the grim way. reaper came knocking on my door and then and, and then kind of kept going and, and uh, kind of forgot to come back and just disappeared like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, of course we need you those of us who are yeah. like left behind need and it helps you. oh my god because totally it's, those are desperate times and and there's nothing there's nothing particularly when it's inside of you oh god uh, yeah. that that can uh, persuade you otherwise people achieving for, grace uh, yeah. Within that, I think is is superhuman. Mm. You know, mm, people mm. people invent things. People are very funny. People have great careers. People who go through th that fundamental issue of having uh, of having to seriously contemplate their own non-existence and do it gracefully. But, and it, you know, w when we had Peter Schuldall on, and he said life really isn't that complicated. We're in a meadow. There are beautiful things, and they're distracting things. And, and um, we walk through this thing, and at the end of the meadow, there's a ledge, and we fall off of it. We all fall off. And I've thought about that um, 
the, the inevitability that that what you're talking about, the horror of a disease in us that's going to eat us up and kill us is in us right now. And how do we keep a happy mind? Well, we do it through the delusion that life is going to go on forever and that we're going to have a legacy and that um, goodness and light will follow us forever in our days. Well, this is our, this is the, uh, to me, this is the conversation that we return to on pretty much every, every show that we do, or we could. This, every conversation we have could basically be, we could be like a Samuel Beckett play where we just stand there and say the same thing you know, yeah. like over and over yeah, again. Because and, and, we, know, do, we do return to this. And that is that, of course, one has to foster the illusion uh, that you've gone forever. Yeah. And so you seek out the little bubbles in the world that yeah. give you that illusion. And those are contained in, in those things that are, are inexplainable and in, in, ineffable, which is um, beauty. Uh, you know, the, the things that seem to transcend the paucity of life. So seeking that, when you sit and listen to that amazing piece of music, the reason to listen to that amazing piece of music in your car or whatever is um, it gives you that, whatever Albert Camus said about beauty, um, gives you the illusion uh, that, um, that a moment could be stretched out into an eternity. <laughs> and that's what it is. I had a dinner party and this guest friend uh, brought this man in and we were talking not unlike this and he said let me tell you a story I was working on an oil rig in the Atlantic um, and it blew up and uh, everybody I knew except for four people basically died I was taken to a hospital and I wasn't the most stable mental person to begin with and I spent six months in this mental ward, you know, healing and trying to deal with this um, this, this horrible thing that had happened in my life. And, and the therapist, the person that spent all of the time with me, this woman I fell in love with. And we got to a point after she healed me that we understood through the work that we had come to really know ourselves deeply and we had fallen in love and um and it came to the the time when i was to be released and um and i was and and i was told that she had died and it put me into as you can imagine a, a horrible spin and i went back into the asylum for a year out of my mind i mean it was just nothing but me strapped to darkness and the four people that survived, the, my, my friends on the oil derrick, um, heard about this. They had been following me, but um, they were on a new assignment, and they decided to fly in and visit me. Their helicopter crashed, and they all died. This guy, you know, he's telling me this story. And in the background... Where do you, where do you find people like <laughs> so They just show up. They're attracted to the music that's playing. The music I'm playing is Foray's Requiem. I, I had, I think, uh, Pandora on for, you know, like really depressing music. Oh, and I, don't, I don't find the Requiem depressing. The Requiem, well, is, it's, it's pretty emotionally powerful. Oh, it's amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah. And this is playing, and, and, and then he says, and, and, um, and the only hope I had at that point was to see my parents again. And um, oh, no. and I got to a point where I and you know another year passed and I went out and I went to see my parents and my mother had died and they and my father didn't have the courage to tell me because of my 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 state 
and, he, and, and everybody at the table just, we could not say a word. It was just like the forks had dropped and everybody was looking at everything but each other. Okay. And, and, and you know what he said? Yeah, does he ever? Could, he said this, and this was the end of it. Could you please change no. the music? <laughs> and, Wait, so the, this was just an unloading? There was it, was, a, there. it was just this, and he said it in a way where you would have thought he had said it many times because it was such a tight story, and yet I think it was the first time he had unloaded himself. But there was no and so. It was just like, No, and, and that was it. it Could you change the music? <laughs> <laughs> It Man. can always be. It can always be worse. And, and he's you know, a functional human being now. Julian, this is the worst thing. When you to die at an old age, where you've lived your life, and and the natural order of things have happened, is tragic. But it's okay. When you die young, like your friend, mm. and your flags are still flying, mm. and and everything is in front of you, and you die. Mm. The, the takeaway is God pity the survivors, you know, and and that is where the the real awful story lies is that when we see through war and famine and disease, people that should have in front of them um, the ability to survive their parents and they don't. That's where it gets rough. Yeah. <clears throat> Nonetheless, I mean, I guess within that you would. Uh, within the scheme of that, yeah, the guilt, the whatever, and how much it messes you up and everything. It seems to be the case, just empirically by adding up the numbers, that people would rather be alive than dead. I would think so. Seemingly. Yeah. So yeah. even as a survivor who says, I can't deal with it, everything happened, like a Holocaust survivor or whatever, there's also that sense of being like, hey, but I'm the one, I'm still one of the ones <coughs> that's here, and that music does sound good, or that joke was funny. Or, yeah, or that, yeah, that uh, that spoon fruit tastes really good. Right, right. Or one more mouth that, of spoon fruit. That hand on my forehead really feels lovely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. those kind words in my ear really are quite remarkable. Yeah, it's always better to be alive, even though we do not know what was before this mortal coil and what is after. That those are the realms of faith, but being in it, it you know, it's pretty good. We're we are wired with so many instruments in our body to oh, take on amazing. pleasure. Oh, my I mean, God, it's amazing. Our eyes and our ears and our nose and our mouth. No, we, there's, yeah. There are disgusting things, of course. Yeah. We won't talk about those. Yeah. But, but the pleasant things are, you know, we're wired to be able to enjoy this life. Oh, no, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's such yeah. a tragedy when you are <coughs> faced with people, and I'm sure we've both been faced with people, for whom... <coughs> life over an extended period of time and this is dark and all because I, I banged my car into the back of your truck um, for whom life for an extended period of time not for a few minutes but for years is uh, a, a, a colossal burden oh it's, it's awful I, I just want to you know, like slap these people. No, but even people whose chemistry or whatever where I, I want to slap <clears> them too but I've had people who have gone through talk it to them. but I've had people who have gone through it and then at the end They've ended it because they're like, you know what? It's just too painful to exist. And they didn't do it in a, 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 as a gesture of uh, attention-seeking or whatever. They just were like, I, I, I can't. And it was so simple. The, the, yeah. the ending didn't have any yeah, drama. That's, that's an interesting any... story. Oh, uh, Irving, oh, who is it? The, uh, oh, uh, oh, the 
uh, Owen, blah, 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 blah. Who? John, Ir- not John Irving. Who's John? the writer? That, John Irving. No. That did the Hotel New Hampshire. Yeah, John Irving. John Irving. Yeah. In um, Ode to Owen Meany, mm-hmm. he writes about that very character, a young woman who has is just dark and has no reason to live. And before she kills herself, just wants to explore all of the things that everybody talks about at her age that are what life is for. And so she spends a night with this friend of hers, her only friend, um, exploring every sexual deviancy in the world just to see if there's something there that is worth, you know, carrying on for. And and that was it. Um, but this that story of that type of person, is it, it, it's amazing. Um, well, when you think that, like, you and I both agree, basically, hey, I have my grumpy days or whatever, but most of, most of the grumpiness is, uh, is, a, um, is a reaction to the fact that we know how good it is. And so the days that are not good or yeah, the days well, that we should Well, we should be the people that jump in and mediate when, when people are ready to jump off. Um, we warned you at the evening tickler when this started to turn off <laughs> to go have dinner sure, in a I pleasant place. Um, because where's our guest for heaven's sake? Uh, our guests never arrived. They they, might, they must have sensed that this was going to be absolutely well, now brutal. I, now I'm a little worried. Yeah. Do you think that the that the dark cloud? Uh, I don't it, know. Well, I'm not worried because I know they weren't in a car. All of you that are friends of Stephen Julian, we hope you are not suffering uh, for uh, your acquaintance with us tonight. If you're friends with us at all, sit still. Uh, Stay close to, like, soft furnishing. (laughs) (laughs) Just take it easy tonight. You know, just if you can make it through tonight, you'll probably be all right. Right. Put out the fires. Stay away from sharp instruments. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, and just hug the person that you're close to. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio. Live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and on MTC Cable Channel 20. And this is the important part for all of you in Abu Dhabi listening. WIOXradio.org on the web or any smart device anywhere in the world, anytime. And and the other thing is this. If you go to iTunes into the iPod section, you can pick up the Evening Tickler archived as an iPod. Just put in the Evening Tickler. No, not and an iPod. An i. I what are they iTunes. called? No. <laughs> uh, What's it called? A podcast. Podcast, right, yes. Right. Yeah, sorry about that. Not, not um, an iPod. That's, that's why Julie and I are such a great team. <laughs> where I am stupid, he's not, and where he's stupid, I'm not. Something like oh, that. We're just antiquated. Uh, and if I like, I can add this. WIOX and WSKG Public Media Community Partners are together and um, and hopefully always will be until... They're not, um, and we're we're really we're really exploring the until we're not in, around anymore. Hi, Lee Melander, host of Myth America on WIOX, here to tell you about a magical, mythical celebration of fall and place in the mountains at Spillion, a supporter of WIOX. Our story, Human Nature, a regenerative retreat with David Abram and friends, is an intimate workshop with writer, ecologist, and dreamer David Abram the sustainable design wizards from Seven Group, and me, exploring how story, place, memory, imagination, and landscape all come together. This retreat invites people to reconnect and remember how we can live into a world that is more than human.
Sunday, October 1st through Wednesday, October 4th at Spillian. More information and reservations at Spillian.com. WIOX is supported by the Phoenicia Diner on Route 28. For breakfast and lunch made with seasonal ingredients sourced largely from the Catskills and the Hudson Valley. Traditional meals with a fresh twist, brunch cocktails, and New York beer, wine, and spirits. Open Thursday through Monday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., 845-688-9957 or PhoeniciaDiner.com. WIOX is supported by Frank Lumia Real Estate Plus with more than 30 years sharing the four-season beauty of the Catskill Mountains, bringing buyers and sellers together, providing customized updates on land, home, and commercial properties with offices in Margaretville and Delhi. Frank Lumia Real Estate Plus. There's magic in our mountains. 607-746-6029 or franklumiarealestate.com. My wife teaches third grade. and um, Hi, Christy. Christy, I hope you're listening. If not, um, I'm going to tell not. a story on you. Third graders, those are eight, nine-year-olds, and they're starting to form themselves from being believers in Santa Claus to being believers in the really reality of the world. And... Um, and it's traumatic. It, there's, it's a magical age. Um, they're starting to become adults, and they're leaving their childhood um, misconceptions. And, and sometimes they're in rough places. Sometimes families aren't like the family that, that you were brought up in or Julian was brought up in. They're, they're rough families, and these kids come in rough. And um, they don't participate in a community, a classroom, the way that you would expect them to. And so what you have to do is you have to find a way to engage them to just start talking. And, and what do you do that? You don't, you, don't, you don't do what you would normally do, like for an eight-year-old uh, eight in a, in a third-grade classroom saying, can you please tell me your favorite New Yorker joke? Um, that you have to do something like this. And, and Christy's brilliant at this, and, and she did this. Um, last year uh, to get these kids feeling that they were a tribe and that they could share and that they could tell a story. She said this, let's spend some time and just tell sad stories. And what came out of these kids oh, was man. something beyond belief. Because, and it was beyond belief because of the sadness. Um, and if you ever doubt that young people don't pay attention, just ask the right question and do it in a way where they feel safe to open up and talk about being locked in a room for the weekend or being put under the stairs or being punished by not being fed or being abused through language and actions. I thought we were cheering up in this off. <laughs> and no, this is, this is, this is our time, oh, Julian, we're going somewhere? after that... you smashed into my truck and okay. gave me whiplash. Let's just give up and just say that and... <laughs> this is um, an exorcism. I'm sorry, everybody. We've got to get it out. But we all read books. I, I don't know if, if you people that are having dinner with us tonight read anymore. There doesn't seem to be much of that going on. But I, last year, in February, picked up a book which is called Trieste, which is a story of a place in Italy during the war that was wrapped up in the, the German annihilation of Jews. And it's a story of a woman recounting her family lost and, and her community lost in this, this horrible little village that was a transit point. And I think Julian's been there. Um, no, I didn't go to Trieste. I went, I went and, the other way. And, there, and so this woman, at the end of the story, she's an old, old woman. And, and it's been this and it 
very well-documented book to the point where there's one chapter that just lists all of the names mm. of, of the people mm. that she knew that were in her town that, that were no longer. Um, and she, she looked through the phone book, and she, she only had a little bit of money, and she found all of the names of the people that she remembered that might have a connection to her when she was young. And she invited them all to dinner, and she took what money she had, and she made a, a meal. It was kind of like this Babette's feast. Yeah. And, and the description of, you know, what she prepared, this sort of, you know, northern Italian Baltic thing was amazing. It, was, it, was, it deserved to be an insert into a cookbook. It was so beautifully read. And, and, and what happened was, of course, in the preparation, you understood her, her love and her loss and her yearning to connect. And in this way of just randomly inviting people out of a phone book that had names that resonated with her. So and people, she set the so table. Came. She set the table, and the invitation was for 6 o'clock, and nobody right. showed up. And that was the end of the story. That's a pretty happy story. You wanted it to get light. Yeah. Is there some light? Uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> let me. Uh, where can we go with this? Well, I could tell you my entire story of um, of, Win- of me and Winnie traveling all the way through the we haven't done uh, Italian that yet. Alps. And uh, maybe it's time. Um, really, <laughs> Julian disappeared on me for a long time last. I did four weeks last winter and he with his daughter went on this journey to of discovery and closure of a family that was exterminated and uh and when he did this brilliant piece um that uh that that told the story which you can find uh where can people go and yeah see this? i think it's <clears throat> i think it's on youtube and i think uh, you would uh, maybe search for her name winifred richards or actually the uh, because the original idea well, it was her final year thing at school, <clears throat> and so we found um, it was the basic premise was a kind of there but for the grace of God kind of thing. Um, so we found an eighteen-year-old girl out of Venice, um, and she oh, am I quiet? Eighteen-year-old um, uh, girl, same age as Winnie, and we were like, well, you know, she was living her life in Venice and everything was fine or whatever, and then stuff came in, and the Italians first of all weren't um, persecuting Jews. Whatever, but then the Germans came in and took over, and then they, in 19, at the end of 1943, they gathered up all the Jews in one day. Actually, that's not exactly right, but, but largely in one day, uh, and shipped them off to a place called uh, to to one of those holding camps. Trieste was one of them, and another one in uh, Carpi in Emilia Romagna, and then stayed there for a couple of months. Same <coughs> same place at Primo Levi was, and then shipped them off to uh, Auschwitz. Uh, and uh, this girl, Vitorina, was there was her and uh, her five siblings, her parents, her grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles. Uh, <clears throat> they were all on the same train, and when they got to uh, Auschwitz, everybody was uh, immediately sent to the gas chambers, apart from um, Vitorina and her sister, uh, uh, who, were, who were admitted into the camp. And so they did uh, nearly a year, and then we thought at first that uh, Vitorina was killed in Auschwitz and her sister Alda went on to uh, on one of the um, uh, one of the death marches to uh, to the trains that took her to Bergen-Belsen. It then turned out once we were out at Auschwitz we got access to some information that we hadn't had anywhere else 
that uh, Vittorina w also did a death march and was put on a train to uh, Buchenwald where she died. Everybody else was dead. So uh, the whole uh, trip was that we thought, like, well, maybe we could do this because all the same train lines, all, all the train lines are still on exactly, they haven't ripped train lines up, they're still on the same tracks or whatever. So, so we just repeated that journey <clears throat> and we just did it. Uh, we did it on the same dates and we did it slowly. I mean, it took them uh, a week. Took us two days going slow, or whatever, uh, and just did that and got to Auschwitz, and then um, and yeah, some kind of cathartic kind of process of doing it. But it was interesting because she, there's no records about her or whatever. So she was one of those people because nobody survived from the entire family. Uh, she was one of those people who was completely forgotten. Um, and so actually, uh, what was that? Seventy-two years later or something, um, we it was a kind of re finding of a human being who just kind of vanished into a, a, a six million dead people statistic uh, which was cool and the weird thing was <clears throat> on the 20th of January when I arrived in Venice slightly ahead of uh, Winnie uh, to just kind of prep the ground for when she was going to come over and do it there'd never been any record of this of this woman this 18 year old woman girl uh, and then I went to her front door because I'd worked out where she lived I went to her front door and brand new put in the, uh, in the paving stone in front of the door were um, seven uh, little metal um, uh, plaque kind of things, just the size of, uh, you know, maybe three inches by three inches. And there's her name. Mm. First time her name had been registered anywhere mm. in 70 years. I mean, not because of anything we were doing, but if there's any... The shock of seeing the zeitgeist played out like right in front of you, where you're like there are forces at play here of information and whatever that we have no conception of, was right there. I mean, it was like a shock. I like had never seen her name written anywhere, and all of a sudden it's right in front of her front door, just before about to get on the train and go to Auschwitz. Were you prepared for um, that? I mean, for the story to evolve and with your daughter. Uh, the way it did uh, because it had to be deeply connective uh, the, for the two of you to in be investigating something horrifying like this yeah you know the what it was great it was a completely euphoric no that's overstating it it was largely a euphoric experience because the process of uh, of unraveling uh, the kind of Agatha Christie process of, of finding and um, digging up stuff that's buried is just on a human level is is super exciting You're like look what i found or we're going through a book or going through whatever we're doing so you know i think that the the time there was one particular moment where where you know you get those occasional moments in life where you don't quite know what to do with what you're feeling um and there was a point where we came to uh we were approaching um uh we were approaching birkenau um <coughs> which is the part of Auschwitz where she, she was or whatever and then uh, literally at the last f in the last few minutes I worked out from something that I was reading as I was working along I should have like known this earlier that you know the famous thing of the of, of the, the trains go through the archway and the Birkenau thing and then there's the unloading on the platform beyond that point that only started in May 1944 before that point the trains pulled up outside of Birkenau a, a good like maybe um, three quarters of a mile away and unloaded onto a platform out there, and then trucks took them, which is exactly what Primo Levi describes at the beginning of, of this cement. Um, and so discovering that at the moment we were approaching Birkenau, and I was like, wait, we're gonna go in 
And so I started to look around the back of this housing estate, and there's the train lines of... And so I was like, when? Look, we just found this out. And so we went over. There's me, David, Paul, and um, Winnie. And that moment of being thunderstruck by something and being in absolute momentary connection with somebody in that place. When he wrote Vittorina's name on a little stone and uh, put it on the track, and that was something where nobody could speak. Everybody's just walking around. It wasn't something we're all looking at each other and it's profound. Everybody's a little embarrassed, like people are kind of all four of us and moving around and kind of shuffling around and pretending to take a picture or whatever. But it's it's you're thunderstruck. You're literally in a place where you're like, I don't know how to process the inform- the information's coming in too pure and raw uh, that you don't know what to do I mean people cry, people do whatever but nobody was, people were just kind of moving around trying to cope so the the bright side of that story <laughs> is, <laughs> is that um, it is th- it, it's through experiencing and sharing uh, pain and, and horror like that that builds empathy and we take that into our life after touching um, the, the, the really awful things i i have met so many people that have that have been uh, you know on on the edge of um, of this and, and in the maw of it and have come out and they're the happiest most yeah. optimistic people totally. in the world um and w- we had uh, caroline dowd who who talked about this very thing people uh, these africans that 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 risked and and suffered everything for their freedom and and escaping from an inevitable uh horror. Uh, that are the happiest people in the world, and um, well, we need some. We need some. Yeah, I mean, those people. I mean, I think we've done that on another conversation. But I think people are not even aware that that just to get to that point in Sicily or whatever, the level, the the rings of Dante's Inferno <sighs> that these people have been through. You know, lost families, raped, this, yeah, all this kind of stuff. But of course. It's hard for us, man. We are—we have led charmed lives. We lead We've, the most have, charmed. Yes, lives. we have. We have been swimming in very shallow water. How, how are we and supposed to even know or empathize or whatever? Reading um, books, and that people are fascinated with the with the deep is beyond me. Because um, if they were to truly be thrown into it, nothing in life prepares you for that. You know, you you can go through military training and all the rest of that, and and you can build up a little bit of resilience to being shocked and having some ways of getting through your next step. But all the same, psychologically, that stuff is like a knife that's peeling you off well, until I, there's nothing left. Well, I am fascinated with that. Yeah. I can't yeah. help but, um, you know, there's something about looking, you know, my world misery tour that I've been on for years or whatever. Um, there's something about looking at a story like the Auschwitz story. Um, and, you know, the first time that I went there, I've only been twice, but the first time I went, it was uh, arriving there, took it out of a book, and suddenly the distances between this piece of territory and this, where you would have to walk to get from here, suddenly gave it a human quality. Where yeah, like, of course. Whoa, wait, yeah. this is not um, <clears throat> six million people. Or, or it in, stops in being just a concept. Oh, man, and you it, had to walk from there. And and there when, you you, to, when you see it with your own eyes. Right. Um, and, and you feel the, uh, the, the, that sort of awful vibration that it is left in evil places. And also, you know that 
you know how long it takes for you. It, that is a moment of empathy. You're like, I can also walk from this place to this place or whatever. I can, that's something I can do. And so you do, but you're not going to die at the end of it. Or but you're, put, you're, you're treading in the footsteps. You're, you're walking in the footsteps of someone who made that same journey. And that has a profound quality because I want to get to even understand. The weird thing about somewhere like Auschwitz is it is a silent scream, that place. I mean, it's... it's uh, yeah, exactly. No, that's very well said. Um, do you think that there is any reason, and, and this is really a bizarre idea, that in our education to become human, that we should go through a week where we are exposed to that type of a situation where we have no freedom, that the future is uh, dim at best, and um, and that it's time to get the house in order, and uh, because the end is nigh, it would te- it would certainly teach us something. The the uh, the orchestration of that, or how that would be carried out by some authority, who, who would be impossible to. It would know, it it would be like who controls the torture chamber. I mean, it's very Orwellian kind of. Uh, it's room one. What lessons would come out of that for you know normal people that are just fascinated with through literature and you know popular culture the idea of a world that that is fallen apart and that evil is 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 uh, is is out in the foot again. Um, it's the where eight. they could understand that um, there's risk in having in your mind a fascination for this because it invites it invites it in mm. in a way in a magical way and this is something i uh john well, hushman posted this very weird little thing about his posts are very clever very, very yeah no he he never sleeps thought, he never mind. sleeps yeah. he reads everything yeah. and then he comes up with these sort of little passages some of them are just like nails and this one nailed me and it, and it was basically this very concise encapsulation of popular imagination right now. And he said there is a, basically a danger in, in our heads now being full of the horses of the apocalypse running free. This fascination we have and, and this Im- imaginary world of the end is going to bring it on quicker than it might. Um, yeah, or it fun. might be the thing that just brings it on because yeah. he didn't go into this, but the world is extremely plastic. Right. And, and we have seen in our own lives how the power of an idea that we have, that we float out there, can, uh, can both attract and form all sorts of resources yeah, right. to make it happen. He makes a very valid point. I mean, look, the, any, anybody, in a, anybody in a sensible frame of mind, anybody who really was at risk and throughout history most people have been at risk we're this unique sliver that haven't really been at risk so we play with this storyline most people reject it that's the obvious thing to do reject speak it. no evil reject it yeah. yeah i mean everything has every every culture or whatever has said like reject it we are so decadent and wrapped up in our own thing that we have to throw ourselves out of airplanes or we have to bash it we have to go and roll around in the in, in the earth at auschwitz or whatever because of the unbearable lightness of being or whatever it is that we're doing. But you're right. You're right. It does... Um, it, uh, the rejection is, is a rejection. It's, 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 it's biblical. It's rejecting Satan. It's doing whatever. It's like holding your hand up and saying you're not going to come in here. And you do invite the devil in. It's true. And so a school that would show people what that's really like 
I think would straighten a lot of people's stuff out very quickly. Or you could argue that it would be a, uh, um, a, a, a formalization of inviting in the... There's also something to be said for just not talking about it. Well, yeah, the denial is also uh, can be as, as bad as, um, as you know. That, that as it's interesting having it top of my. I thought I could make a lot of money with this uh, as people come into Bovina. That uh, there would be a theme park, which would be which would look like a maximum security prison, and and people would pay a thousand bucks for a weekend where they checked in, got put into a uniform and got processed and put into a holding cell. And um, and in that holding cell, they would have a prison partner that they didn't know, and they would be able to exchange stories about, you know, they could make up stories about why they were there and the horrible things they did. And they, they had did. to poo in a bucket, and they had and, to do whatever. The whole thing. Right. And, I, you know, in thinking that through, I thought, you know, there are a lot of people lot that of, would pay for this experience. There'd be a lot of demand. And because then they'd go back to their, their lives in the city and they'd say, Man, listen to this. Listen to what I said. Listen to these stories that happened. You can't believe the guard I had, you know, and the ways that I manipulated, blah, 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 blah. Well, you're talking about even on an adventure level but or, or what they would boast about. And on an adventure level that's right in line with this thing Hushman's talking about, that it's be, the popular culture has become so strong on this type of a situation that you could, you could commoditize it into an experience. It's so hard, though. You know, it's so hard because uh, that's a totally valid point. And, he is making, and, you know, he's a very thoughtful man. He's making a valid point. I'm sure he would be as capable as making, uh, of making the counterpoint to it because it's hard because in the middle of the rejection which is uh, as we said is a reasonable reaction and probably even the best reaction that also le- uh, there's obvious converse to the idea of rejecting it and saying I don't want to hear about it burn down the house where the children were abused raise it to the ground you know like many people said about Auschwitz particularly good thinkers said get rid of it what yeah, wipe this? it off. Yeah, wipe absolutely. it off the fucking bulldoze the thing. Face of the earth. Sorry, um, and but it's tough. There's another. There's those two. There's a like we will not forget school right. of thought, yeah, right. which is the entire World War One or whatever. And then there's a like no, forgetting is. But critical. it doesn't do any good, does it? Um, no. The, there's this the it day of the locusts. Yeah, well, it's not modeling. Um, there, there is inside of us, and we see this happening. You know, the the Hutsis and Tutsis in Rwanda chopping mm. themselves up in a matter of days with mm. machetes. Oh God, no, not days. It took a long time because they were doing it. It was well, machete by machete. Yeah, it it was <sighs> a week, and 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 they just they chopped the place apart. Two hundred thousand people killed. That kind of madness. Ugh. You know, and very smart people talk about how. In our R-factor brain, the lizard brain we have, there's a switch that happens where we're all capable of picking up a machete and starting to just chop the world up. It's the yeah, it's the second, it's the Yates poem, the second coming, the, the you know, uh, it being unleashed, that point at which some force is unleashed. Uh, the, the the day of the locust, man. Right. I mean, it sleeps deep in the ground, and then for some reason, it's triggered and comes out. And and maybe that's what the oh, world the is starting se- to feel is cycle. that there's an awakening happening in the world. It's been a long time since we've had a war, a pandemic, an asteroid hit, or whatever, and and the and the world is starting to sense that um, that 
the locusts are starting to crawl out of the dirt. I'm a little worried that me running into the back of your truck might, you know, because because things, I am too. Things I think start that, from very small seeds. <laughs> this is another sign that the end is yeah. You know, we think it's a meteor. And it was literally the end. We think it's a meteor, but it's my Subaru running into the back of that. You know those Ray Bradbury um, stories or whatever, where they go back in history and somebody accidentally stands on the, steps on a butterfly, yeah, it's all, and then they come back and everybody's speaking a different language and it's got yeah. an eye in the middle of the forehead. Or truly, truly, that uh, could be the that could you know we just unsettled the cosmos. The history that. books might pull out this podcast and yeah. say this was the beginning yeah, yeah. of the end. Yeah, because tonight horses are going to be biting each other in stables right here. <laughs> And like just the 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 force of nature are out of sync. And seventy two years why from now, a little. Foot, why is my foot on the gas instead of the brake? It little, makes no sense. A little bronze coin with your name on it will show up in the cement somewhere. Man, I'm gonna be. I, I'm. I am the second coming, but not in the way I wanted to be. <laughs> the oh, we we just um, well our guests never arrived. Our, our guests didn't arrive, and consequently, we were we were thrown off the track. You know and what happened with our guest? He was driving in. He started to hear what is going on, and went turned around. Giant fast yeah, turn, good like boy. straight back the way he came. It's a good boy. Well, I I hope all of you turned off it with my warning at the beginning of this thing. But if you did, and you listened to it, and any of this resonates, and and you want to continue contributing which julian said in one way or another every time we talk um, on the evening tickler we touch on this sort of thing. Send, thing send us a card or a letter or a story um that uh would indicate that there's an embrace the deeper deeper awful embrace on on what the apocalypse is, is uh and is you can doing. also send cards saying shut up <laughs> right <laughs> stay at home uh we uh I'm sure enjoy this more tonight more than than you did. But every every conversation is set off by an event, and the the important thing that we as humans must uh, always stay engaged with is this: no matter how bad it is, it has to be talked about, it has to be shared, it has to be explored. You have to have at table all the people that agree and disagree, um, and it and that's the only way to neutralize and take the venom and the true power out of things is to share and share and share you know Lenny Bruce had a, a great way and I'm, I can't do it because he used the n-word but he stood up in the 50s when when the power of language and the power of the imagination was being understood as a cultural phenomenon that could drive behavior the way that Hushman talked about this stuff in our heads right now, and he stood up on stage. He was a Lenny Bruce was a comedian for people that that don't know this, and he said the N word for ten minutes, and everybody was appalled, and they didn't understand what was happening. And at the end of it, he laughed and he said, "You know, the the thing that we have to do to take the power out of everything is to say things over and over and over again until they lose their power." And that's what the table's for. Talk about it, share it, take the, the venom away from it by just exploring it. And with that, I feel the captain behind me. And uh, if any of you stayed with us, you're going to be rewarded by having Captain Tripp bring in some of the best music that has ever visited our planet. The dead, um, 
and uh, and I'm sure you're looking forward to that, as are we on our trip home. Oh, so, oh, yeah. yeah, the evening tickler, thank you. See you next week. Hopefully we can find a guest after this one.